you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration. Passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations and let's together make the remarkable happen. Janine Garner here, uh, the host of this podcast, Unleashing Brilliance, and it's an absolute joy to welcome you here today to this week's podcast, and wow, are we in for a treat this week. Um, This week, I'm interviewing the incredible Jen Brown, um, and we're talking all about doing the impossible. Jen knows a thing or two about helping others unlock belief and possibility. In a previous life, she was a corporate lawyer treading the floorboards of organizations, and now she's actually an endurance sports coach. She has this unique ability to understand the intricacies of what individuals and teams hope to achieve the motivation underlying their goals, the roadblocks and challenges they may face, and then helping them actually achieve what it is that they want to achieve. She's the founder of Sparta Chicks, which is an online community and coaching business that supports women who participate in endurance sports and outdoor adventures. And she's also the host of the popular podcast, Sparta Chicks Radio. Uh, She launched this podcast in 2017, and it's been downloaded over 300,000 times. This podcast is all about exploring how you find the courage and bravery to chase dreams by sharing practical, tried and tested in the real world advice from professional athletes, successful businesswomen, as well as everyday women who are chasing their goals and their dreams. And in her spare time, as you would expect, Jen herself is out there. She is a trail runner, an ocean swimmer, and freely admits that she is an absolutely avid coffee lover. I really loved this podcast conversation with Jen. I've known Jen for a number of years, and it's been absolutely fascinating to watch her living and breathing her own expertise. Um, I knew her when she was just leaving that corporate lawyer space and building up the work that she does now. And it's been absolutely fabulous to watch her unleashing her brilliance and through doing her work, unleashing the brilliance in other people. In this podcast, she challenges us to list 50 things that you have done that you once thought were impossible. She asks us to choose our response to fear and self-doubt and absolutely talks about the importance of surrounding yourself with the right success crew. So buckle in. Uh, grab yourself the drink of your choice if you are sitting still and otherwise um, enjoy this latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Jen Brown, welcome to my podcast. I cannot say how fabulous it is to turn the table on you this time round. How are you? <laughs> I am good, thank you. I'm excited to be here. Although, as we were saying before we started recording, it's a bit weird to be back on this side of the podcast and not in control. So, um, yeah, this is good. This is fun. Oh, it's going to be a journey for you, Jen. <laughs> it's going to be a whole new experience because, as, as, as we're alluding to, you are the host of your own podcast, Sparta Chick Radio, which has got, what, over 300,000 downloads we're sitting in, and you've interviewed some phenomenal people on that podcast. Um, your journey <laughs> is just quite hilarious whenever I uh, I speak to people in organizations that are starting to think about a career change I often think about you because we met 
I think about seven years ago now, when you were transitioning from that that corporate lawyer space into into the work that you do now, which is very much around uh, working with um, endurance athletes. And so um, we've been moving in each other's circles for a while. Um, we worked uh, quite closely together for a while. And it's just wonderful to to have you on the show, to be able to unlock the story of you. So um, I'm going to jump straight into it, Jen. And, and just, can you just share the background to you? Like, where did you, where did it all start for you? Oh, God. How long have we got? Um, it's, we funny got you, <laughs> it's funny you talk about my career. I sometimes feel, it's sometimes, when I sit back and think about it, it sometimes feels a bit frenetic and like I've taken 890 degree right hand turns. But at the same time, it feels like a bit of a, more of a course correction, shall we say. So I grew up in Penrith out in the western suburbs of Sydney and pretty much fell in love with the idea of becoming a lawyer from my probably late teens. And I attribute that entirely to the TV show LA Law, (laughs) uh, which gives away my age and my TV obsessions at the time. So that would have been late 80s, early 90s? No, early 90s. Um, And it's funny, I can remember, I can still remember thinking that becoming a lawyer seems like the hardest possible thing I could do. Not sure I would recommend that as a way to choose your career, but it's what I did. And it turns out I I loved being a lawyer. I was corporate lawyer for 12 years. But then uh, it was a combination of factors. It was it was increasing dissatisfaction with the way that law firms are managed and dare I say it micromanaged or at least were. Um, this would be 10 years ago now. And at the same time, it was this increasing interest in sports performance and physical performance and outdoor adventures. And it wasn't quite a sliding doors moment, but it was certainly a time in my life when the two paths intersected. And I remember I went to, um, I went to Nepal for a month about 2007 and I came back from that trip and I went, that's it, I am going travelling because I had done the whole high school, university, straight into my work career thing and decided I needed a break from it. So in 20, 2008, I resigned, left what I thought, I thought I was going to leave the law, um, but I resigned and went travelling for six months. So I walked the Kokoda Track and I climbed in the Himalayas and I climbed um, Kilimanjaro and to Egypt and Jordan and um, spent a, my first ever white Christmas with my brother and climbed in South America as well and and came back from that trip knowing that I had to leave the law. Like I just couldn't envisage coming back from that trip and going back to law. But, of course, I had to because I had spent all my money. So I took a three-month in-house contract which turned into two-and-a-half-year contract. But it was in that time I initially studied to become a personal trainer. So when I left the law, I actually went straight into personal training and I was working with runners and triathletes because that was my sporting background at the time. And one day one of my female clients who um, was a triathlete said to me, can you coach me in a tri- for triathlons? And I sort of went, well, I 
suppose I can. And so that set me down the path of coaching. Um, And it was not long into that journey when I realized I was having very different conversations with male clients as opposed to female clients. And that led me into Sparta Chicks and the work that I do today. So it, it feels like a wild ride when I recount the whole story, but it feels more like a bit of a, a series of course corrections more than anything else. Tell me a little bit more about those different conversations. I'm really curious about what you were, what were those different conversations between your male clients and your female clients? Mm. Very early on, I... I realized the I was having very different conversations. The topics of the conversations were very different. So male clients were primarily asking me what I would call technical questions. So they were saying things, they were asking things like what equipment should they use? What bike should they own? What nutrition should they have? How should they train? How fast should they train? Um, all those sorts of technical questions. But my female clients were coming to me and saying things like, what if I fail? What if I don't make the cutoff? What if I crash my bike? What if I drown? What will people think of me when they see me run past them in my Lycra? Um, So it was very much this sense of um, fear and self-doubt that was sabotaging their best efforts. And so I realised particularly at the time and in the sports world, we weren't having those conversations. We weren't discussing the fact that uh, all of us felt the same way, all of us women were feeling the same way. And so that led me to create Sparta Chicks as a vehicle or an avenue for us to actually call out the fact that many of us, most of us, struggle with these fear and self-doubt and and. I think by opening that line of conversation, we've helped a lot of realize, a lot of women realize that they aren't alone um, in feeling this way. And so, Sparta Chicks, you uh, share conversations um, to empower your clients and a wider audience in terms of believing that they they can do more. What? Um, what a, have you got an example of the profound effect that changing the conversation has had on one of your clients and the resulting outcome of that conversation just at, by way of explaining why the conversation has to be different? Mm. One example that comes to mind was a woman who I remember her saying to me that she stood on a start line of a race. Well, actually, she arrived at registration of a start line of a race and they couldn't find her name on the list. And in that moment, she thought, oh, that's okay because I don't belong here. I don't deserve to be here. I'm not good enough to be here. Um, And what she realised later in hindsight too was that she was having those same, that same sense of not being good enough, not deserving her place, not... um, not having anything to value, not having anything of value to say were coming up for her in a work setting as well. But it wasn't really until she realised or she had that awareness in a sports context that that she made the leap and, and re- she made the leap and realised that those sorts of fears were holding her back at work too. Um, so it's been an amazing vehicle. I think a lot of people have seen parallels 
um, between how they feel when it comes to their sport and how they feel at work. Um, and I've seen women, I mean, the thing about sport too is it can create an amazing ripple effect of confidence that I have seen flow from a woman in a sporting perspective into other aspects of life. So women have said, you know, women, I know women who have called ended marriages or called off engagements, um, asked for a promotion or a pay rise for the first time in their life, um, put their hand up for committee or board positions when they would never have done so before um, and attribute the confidence to do that entirely from their awareness about how their fear and their self-doubt was holding them back initially in a sports context. Hmm. When has fear and self-doubt held you back, Jen? Oh, God. (laughs) How long have you got? All the time, all the time, all the ways. Um, I can think of, well, for example, one of the examples I give of when someone asked me about when I experienced the imposter phenomenon was at university, I distinctly remember my international law uh, lecturer pulled me aside one day after my class and said, um, there are scholarships available at New York University and I think you should apply for one. And I didn't. I didn't think I was good enough. I didn't think I deserved it. I didn't think I belonged. I didn't think someone like me would ever study at a place like NYU, so I never applied. Um, The podcast is another one, actually, Sparta Chicks Radio. I thought about and talked about and planned that podcast for over 12 months before I actually launched it. I got two in my head. I got too tied up in my self-doubt and worrying if I could do it and worrying if I had the skills and worrying what other people would think before I launched it. Um, I had it before I wrote my first book as well. Um, I have it before I enter races. I have it before people ask me to be on their podcasts. Um, so it's a it's a constant companion and I think that's the point too. It it can be a constant companion. It is for many of us a constant companion. And it's more about how you learn to navigate it and manage it rather than try to banish it entirely. So so tell me more about how you've done that for yourself. Um so in this context of unleashing brilliance, um, you know, imposter syndrome or self-doubt can absolutely stop you from becoming whatever it is that that you want to become. So over those years where you've had uh, doubts, whether it be that uni application, writing the book, launching the podcast, I'm imagining stepping away from law and doing something else. Uh, what, What did you do to move past uh, almost the the keeping me still and frozen space to actually doing something about it. Mm. My my approach has changed a lot over the years. I think initially I was probably more one of the people to the analytical part of my mind would would kick in and I would write the old pros and cons um, list. I think as I've got a bit older, I've become a little bit more aware of my self-doubt and a little bit more intuitive and I listen a little bit more to what I really want to do. I, if, something, if something excites me, 
um, if something interests me, if something intrigues me, I will always lean into that. Um, I um, uh, the other, the other thing I was going to say is I've made myself question my resistance in the last year in particular. I don't. I wouldn't suggest I lean into my resistance because <laughs> there's a reason for resistance, but I try and question and ask myself, what am I fearing? What am I resisting? Like, what is the reason that I am holding back or, or feeling this fear? And try and get to the bottom of that because sometimes it can be um, things that are completely outside your control. Sometimes it can be things that com- are completely irrational. Um, and sometimes it's just reminding yourself of what you want to achieve and what's important to you. So for me, I know one of the things that really helped me get over myself when it comes to launching the podcast was Brene Brown's um, post-it note um, activity where in one of her books, I can't remember which one it is, but she talks about writing the names of the people whose opinions matter to you on the smallest post-it note you can get and, you know, sticking it on your desk or carrying it with you. And, you know, if you're going to do something that is going to affect how those people think about you, then then it's probably something you should reconsider. But if it's the broader world, if it's an anonymous stranger on the internet, if, if there's one, you know, particular person or a particular group of people um, who aren't that important to you but whose opinions you're allowing to matter then that's something I always try and be aware of um, and try and question. So thinking about the work that you're doing now um, with Sparta Chicks and Sparta Chicks Radio and everything that is um, starting to ripple out from that work, um, what is it that keeps you going? Why, why, why this work now? Why does it matter to you? Mm, that's a really good question. I think I think there's a couple of things, at least in this on the sports side of things. Um, there's a moment when I there's a moment when a client sees their potential for the first time. It's almost as though they have taken the blinkers off and they can suddenly see what they're capable of or the possibilities that are open to them. That moment is like, that moment is priceless to me. That that drives me. Um, seeing that in people and helping people see that in themselves is something that drives me. And the same thing I think um, is true in a corporate space I see so many women who have so much potential. Um, I can see the potential in them, but they can't see it in themselves. Um, I think if you had to say what's my superpower, it would be that I I can see I see potential in people. That's how I would describe it. Um, and so that drives me seeing potential, especially um, underutilized potential. Um, I just think. Yeah, it's not a waste. It's never wasted. But um, I can just see people who are capable of so much more than they think they are um, and helping them realise that, that drives me. And so 
again, thinking thinking about the work that you do and seeing the potential and helping them unlock that. And I'm, I have no doubt that there are many people listening to this podcast right now that, that are going out actually wanting me to ask, how do you do it? How, how do you find that, that courage and bravery to, to move forward? Um, you know, in the work that you do with, with people that are training uh, to do endurance sports, uh, where there are not just the physical challenges, but the mental challenges, I'm wondering, are there sort of two or three uh, pieces of advice or tips that you would give to people that are trying to push out of their comfort zone, their status quo, to to actually become more? What what sort of things would you suggest to our listeners to start thinking about? Um, this, this two or three that come to mind. The first is really about recognising what you have achieved to date. And I think what we, I guess, as humans tend to do is silo different parts or different areas of our life off into different segments and we don't see the crossover or the flow over the overflow of um, those segments so one of the things one of the very first things I get most clients to do is to sit down and and make a list of everything they bring to the table um, everything they've achieved the all starting with the CV, I guess, and then expanding out everything they've achieved or the difficult conversations they've had, um, the things they've done that they once thought were impossible, um, all the expertise that they bring to the table. Because I think one of the biggest problems most of us have is that we diminish and downplay the resources that we bring to any situation, whether it's sport or work. So one of my first things is that exercise in getting them literally to sit there and write things down um I've I once set a client a challenge of writing down 50 things that she has done that she thought she once thought was impossible Mm. so those things you think to yourself you know run 5k I could never do that those sorts of things um because we we forget that stuff a lot of the time and we don't think about things we've achieved in one part of our life and what they bring to other parts of our life um, so all the achievements that you've had in your career or your business, the lessons you've learned from that, you carry into your sport and vice versa. The second thing would be about choosing how to respond or choosing your response for when fear and self-doubt inevitably arrives. Because I think I, th- I think that's one thing that we don't do well is we we, we know fear and self-doubt is going to bubble to the surface and it's going to bubble up all the freaky time. Mm. But actually having some strategies in place for when it bubbles up, for that exact moment when you can start to feel it, bubble, start to feel it bubbling up, that is absolutely crucial and it's a really good way to short-circuit any spiral of self-doubt that you might find yourself on because as you know sometimes you know you'll have a little bit of self-doubt and then you'll start thinking about all the other things that could go wrong or things that haven't worked out for you on the part in the past and you end up on this really slippery slope down so having some strategies whether they're like a mantra affirmation or a breathing exercise um, or someone that you call um, or just grounding your feet in the ground or taking a deep breath anything like that Um, having some of those strategies that can help you short circuit that slippery slope 
is really critical. And then the third one is something you talk about often, and that is your support network. Having the people that you can call on when you need help, being able to ask for help, being able to accept help, and looking to see if there are actually support roles in your life that you need to fill. Maybe you need a a cheerleader, um, to use your language, or maybe you need a cleaner, or maybe you need some other support um, structure in that life, in your life, that will actually help you to solidify the foundations a little bit more so that, you know, you have a more solid grounding um, on which to pursue your goals. I love those three, Jen, and I'm going to um, just delve a little bit deeper on each of those to help sort of embed why these things are so important when it comes to helping other people unleash their brilliance, um, you know, live a better life, lead a better life. So so that that first one where you talked about, I love that challenge of writing down 50 things that you once thought were impossible. Um, and I want to ask you to give me three Ooh. things that you have done that you once thought were impossible and, and what you learned from them. I'll, I'll, sh- I'll share, I'll share my three just, just for the record whilst you're thinking. Okay. Um, you know, I would never have thought I'd have written books. Um, and now on the third book, um, I stopped studying English at school when I was 16. And I find it quite hilarious now that, you know, I spend a large proportion of my time writing and commenting. So I, I would never, if anyone would have asked me years ago, I'd go, never, that's never going to happen. Um, the speaking that I do, again, I'd never have thought that was possible. But as as you've experienced yourself, you know, every time you get on stage, it just gets better and better and better in terms of how you're delivering it. But it's that ability to push past that piece. Um, and then from a from a physical perspective, there was one year where I set myself a goal of doing lots of crazy sporting things. I think I contacted you at the time, Jen. Yeah. Um, I think one year I did uh, a Tough Mudder and a Spartan, and I would never in my – I would never even believe that I could do it, and I completed it, albeit with a couple of injuries, but actually managed to complete it. And I look back and it is that feeling of, wow. I did it so from your perspective what are what are three things when you think about you know where you started that that girl that was born in Penrith that that started to become a lawyer and everything in between to where you're at now what are what are three key things that that you look back on you go wow I did that and what did you learn from it Mm. uh the first would be running 5ks Mm. and it's funny it's funny the 5k one sticks in mind given that I've done multiple ultra marathons since um but the 5k sticks in my mind because I can distinctly remember at the time thinking I can't imagine doing this for the rest of my life like it I started running as a bit of a means to an end because I wanted to lose a bit of weight and it was so hard when I started as anyone who has tried to start running will know um And I just remember thinking, there's no way I'll be doing this for the rest of my life. So the fact that I am actually seems unbelievable to me, 15 years down the track, never mind um, some of the crazy races like the six-foot track ultramarathon that I've gone on to do since then. The second one was speaking, like you. Um, For me, I am an introvert. I am a massive introvert. Um, And... So speaking seemed 
it wasn't even that it seemed impossible. It was just that it seemed like I don't even think it crossed the radar to begin with because I was an introvert and I assumed that to be a speaker you had to be extroverted and you had to be happy on centre stage and I was neither of those things. Um, but I, I love it. I absolutely freaking love being on stage and, and I think that really taught me to challenge my assumptions Mm. Um, to challenge what I think I'm good at, to th- to challenge what I think I'm capable of, and to try things that I am pretty convinced I'm not going to like. And the third thing would actually be ocean swimming, because oh, that freaks me out. I, I'm <laughs> petrified of ocean swimming. I try not to think about it, Janine. Oh. I try not to think about it. Um, but look, I grew up a western suburbs of Sydney, a very long way from uh, any water source you want to swim in. Um, I hated the beach. I hated the sun. I still hate the sun, (laughs) pale skin and all. I I hate sand, still hate it. Um, But as a kid, like, I would never go past my knees in the water, uh, in the ocean. Um, We had a backyard pool, so I was comfortable in the water, but specifically I would never have gone in to the ocean, Um, certainly not past the waves and certainly not a kilometre or so, you know, off Bondo Beach. Um, so that to me, again, that's another thing about challenging assumptions. And I think for me, ocean swimming is really about, or the lesson it's taught me is to listen to those whispers. So that little voice that says, I would love to try that, or I wonder if I could, um, is that little hint of optimism that you sometimes hear from that voice inside your head. And I had that whisper about ocean swimming for 10 years. Um, My girlfriend is an ocean swimming coach uh, who works down at Bondi. And for 10 years, I've said to her, I'm going to come down and swim. I'm going to come down and swim. I'm going to come down and swim. Never did until uh, last summer. And now I can't imagine not ocean swimming for the rest of my life. So listen to the whisper. Maybe that will be the next. I'm not sure it's a whisper for me in terms of desirability, but it would almost be, yeah, something I wouldn't mind trying to do. My brain goes instantly into what's swimming underneath me. Yep. That's that's the fear piece. It's like when you're out snorkeling and as soon as you get to the drop, it's like, ah, get in. (laughs) But that comes back to, so I completely appreciate that and the closest I have come to a panic attack in the water was uh, I was off Bondi. I was off the south point of Bondi and several weeks beforehand, like probably eight weeks beforehand, I'd been watching some drone footage of a, oh. of a rather large um, fish um, enjoying a, a bait fish ball off, off the south end of Bondi. And in that moment I was swimming out there, I suddenly remembered this drone footage and I suddenly realised I was in the exact same spot as that big fish had been off the point. Um, And that actually comes back to what I was saying earlier. I was lucky that I had thought about my response to my fear and self-doubt. So in that moment, I was actually able to go, no, you've got this, like just come back to, I had some strategies in place in my mind already to help me deal with that impending panic. So what I are those strategies, Jen? So for me, it was concentrating on my breathing and coming back to my stroke. Mm. So, you know, it's really just coming back to staying present, um, focusing on what you're doing. Like literally it was just thinking about what, what my right hand was doing in the water and then it was thinking about what my left hand was doing in the water and then I was thinking about breathing and um, that sort of 
trying to stay present in my mind, trying to stay present in my body and get out of my head was the key. Mm. Yeah, I think that, I mean, that was going to be my next question around what are your strategies? And I think just to sort of delve a bit deeper on that, um, what sort of things do you, what sort of strategies would you advise to people listening to this that may have their own version of, oh my gosh, there's a shark underneath me, or, you know, I'm about to be chased by a woolly mammoth, or whatever it may be, their own, their own scary thing. What strategies, when you talk about choosing your response to fear and self-doubt, what strategies have you seen work for other people that you're able to share? Um, there's lots of strategies that work for different people. So some things will work for one person that may not work for the other. Something as simple as just saying to yourself, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this, I've got this. No, I've got this, (laughs) um, can work, um, and work quite powerfully too. I think it does help to short circuit, um, that, um, internal voice um I when you were on my podcast you were talking about the woolly mammoth named no not the woolly mammoth the orangutan named Mildred 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 the orangutan um so um another version of that story is uh Claire Bowditch who's an Australian ARIA award-winning musician she's written an amazing autobiography and in it she talks about her um, voice, her self-doubt, her inner critic, she calls Frank. Um, am I allowed to swear on your podcast? Yes, you are. Okay, good. Um, and so when that, that voice of the inner critic, when that self-doubt bubbles up, she actually says, fuck off, Frank. Um, and I think that way of um, anything you can do to put some distance between you and your self-doubt to compartmentalize it, to sep- to see it as something separate from yourself is really powerful. So whether that is naming it. Um, I have a client who has a small box in her office um, behind her desk and she mentally puts her self-doubt in the box and closes the lid on the box when she has to do something she finds really hard. Um, so things like naming it, um, those sorts of strategies work really well. Um, for some people who, especially if they're very f- physical people, um, bare feet on the ground when possible, not always possible, of course. Um, breathing is another one. Just enough, almost like the example I gave with the ocean swimming, to get out of your head back into your body again. Um, those are Those tend... That sort of those sorts of categories tend to be the main ones that people use, but as I said, there are thousands. Yeah. What do so you? Great. What do you do? Um, I I stop um, when I can feel that anxiety rising or that fear. I use the mantra approach quite a lot. Of you got this, you got this, you got this. Um, if if I'm in the office or at work, I will actually remove myself and stop and breathe and think and get present um, and just calm myself down, to be honest. I think Um, that's the key. It's just that ability to pause, to take a deep breath, um, to try and get out of your head 
as much as possible because I think if you stay on your head too long in that moment, that's when you're on the slippery. It's very easy to get on that slippery slope. Yeah. Um, and just to to put some space in before you choose, almost giving yourself space to choose how you respond rather than reacting to yeah. that doubt. Yeah, couldn't couldn't agree more. Now that final strategy that you shared around support network, Ooh. as you know, is a, a passion piece of mine. But I'm imagining over the years, um, your support network has changed. Um, what what is your what what sort of things do you look for in your support network? And if you think about one of the most influential people in your life that that's helped you on your journey, who would that be? Oh, good question. Um, I, I honestly think it's probably a cliche answer, but my parents have been um, the biggest, and my husband, I should say, um, but my parents have have been the have been a solid foundation from me all, always. I grew up with the message from them that, you know, basically I could do anything that I set my mind to um, and I know that they're immensely proud of me no matter what I do or what, no matter how I fail um, or no matter what decisions I make. So having that sort of rock-solid foundation is invaluable. Um, I in the past have been very bad at asking for help and it is still a work in progress shall we say um, but I try and think about if there's a if there's a gap in my life that um that needs filling mm. so some of the obvious examples would be a coach um but sometimes it's more about for me, it's more about sounding boards. I use um, a, lo- a lot of friends as sounding boards and, and likewise we use each other as sounding boards. Um, that's been the biggest one really is finding the right people to use as a sounding board to, to get advice off and being very deliberate about who I choose to, to take advice from and who I share what I'm doing and what I'm thinking with. Mm. So in the in the context of this podcast, unleashing brilliance, what's what's what does that mean to you? Ah, it means I think it, to me it means it being comfortable to bring all of you, all of your talent and passion and experience and insights and wisdom um, to what you do, regardless of whether it's sport or work or. Life without the need to hide, without the need to hold back, without the need to diminish who you are and what you bring to the table. Uh, to me, it's, I'm a bit of a visual person, so I kind of see it like an onion. Um, you know, at the core of the onion is is the best of you, and then throughout, you know, at some stage through our lives, we we grow these layers or these protective mechanism armor I guess Brene Brown would call it um the way in which we hide the way in which we downplay and diminish ourselves um and it's really unleashing brilliance is about peeling back those layers and not being afraid to be who you are and bring all of you to what you do that's that's so good now if we brought your your mom and dad onto this podcast what would you like to say to them oh you make me cry um oh, I have, I'm not gonna cry I'm not gonna cry um I would 
I would just say thank you. I've had, it's really powerful when someone has more faith in you than you have in yourselves um, and they have always had that or been that for me. Um, so I am eternally grateful to them. I think we're all internally grateful for the incredible individual that you are and the work that you're doing. And in the spirit of Unleashing Brilliance, um, what do you want to be remembered for, Jen? Um, I want to be remembered as someone who lifted other people up, who encouraged them and supported them and empowered them and, and helped them achieve what they wanted to achieve in sport, at work, in life. I think that's what I want to be remembered for. It's been an absolute pleasure to finally get a chance to dig a little bit deeper with you here on this podcast. But what's even more inspiring is having witnessed firsthand your personal evolution over the significant amount of time that you've been part of my world. And uh, it's really, really, really exciting now to see uh, the depth of your passion and commitment to lifting others up and to helping them achieve whatever it is that they they want to achieve. So I'm mean, always inspired by not just who you are, Jen, but who you are being every day and your commitment to this zero-sum game, that it really believing that it is together that we all become stronger. So thank you for your incredible work and thank you for gifting your time this afternoon. Oh, thank you. That's beautiful. We hope you enjoyed listening to The Janine Garner Show. To follow her blog, purchase her books, or find out more, visit her website, janinegarner.com.au. Brilliant people, extraordinary results.